The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Welcome, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Welcome to everybody here in the room, everybody joining us online. We're grateful that you're tuning in. Welcome to all of you. It's good to be with you this morning. And if you're new to the Springs, if you're a visitor, I especially want to say thank you so much for choosing to be with us. What you should know about the Springs is that we are a people being transformed into the image of Christ so that anyone can find the way to God. And we organize the rhythms of our church life around three words here, gather, grow, and go. And specifically this year in 2022, we are focusing heavily on go focusing on mission. And so you heard Celeste announce earlier that next month, as in every February, we're starting our missions month for four weeks. So I hope you'll be with us as we begin missions month together and focus intently on go next month. But that means we're finishing up a sermon series this morning here at the end of January. We're finishing up Hope Rising, Living into God's Future. So I hope you've enjoyed this series that Ben kicked off towards the beginning of the year. And we've heard from Lisa and Steve Buck. We've had guest speakers, Dr. Chan Hellman and Dr. Amy Emerson. And so I hope you've really enjoyed this series. And I'm excited to finish it out with you this morning in Hebrews chapter 6 together. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus, Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Human beings, of course, swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath given as confirmation puts an end to all dispute. In the same way, when God desired to show even more clearly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath. So that through two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible that God would prove false, we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are our living hope. We come to you this morning with hearts longing to know you in fullness, longing to realize that future in you that we hope for. God, we ask for the ability to live into that future even now. We ask for your direction and wisdom for this church body And God, I ask you for the gift of preaching. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Faith believes God to be true. Hope awaits the time when this truth shall be manifested. I want you to try and picture something in your mind. 
it's a little bit abstract, so it might be difficult, but I think the effort would be valuable. Imagine that you're holding a cord in your hands. But this cord doesn't exactly extend into space. This cord extends into the future. This cord extends not just into the future, but into eternity, into the very heart of heaven, the life of God himself. This cord is Christian hope. And it's a cord that we hold by faith. Because faith and hope go together. And in fact, hope is really faith extended through time. Right? We, we have this faith in Jesus Christ by which we hold this cord that extends through the sorrows and struggles of life all the way into God's good, perfect future. But it's hard to hold that cord, isn't it? There are times when we're holding it tightly, when it's taut, it's tight, but there are times where we let it slacken. There are times where we loosen our grip. There are times where maybe we're even tempted to drop it. In fact, St. Augustine said in a sermon about 1,600 years ago, he said, two things that kill the soul, there are two things, despair and false hope. Despair and false hope, or despair and presumption. That's the way that Joseph Pieper describes it. He has this little book called On Hope, and he describes hope as this kind of journey we're on. Think of hope as a road. But on the side of each side of the road is a ditch. There's a ditch we can fall into, and on one side, that ditch is despair, right? Despair is this anticipation of the future not being fulfilled, Right? Despair is choosing to believe that God's good future is not coming about. Right? If, if hope is this posture of not yet, despair takes the not yet of hope and it makes it not. God's future will not come about. We cannot trust that to happen. That's despair. But then on the other side of the road of hope is presumption or as Augustine calls it, false hope. Presumption is this kind of misplaced hope and certainty in our own ability to secure the future, right? Presumption thinks in certainty that we have it all figured out. Presumption thinks that I've been able to secure my future through hopes of money, politics, power, technology. Presumption, if hope is the not yet, Presumption takes that not yet and makes it an already. We think we've already had fulfillment. But in the middle is hope. In the middle is this faith extended through time, this cord that always has a tension because we're holding it tightly in faith, but we trust in its perfect future. And I can't think about hope for very long without thinking of my all-time favorite movie. Maybe some of you guys like this one as well, The Shawshank Redemption. The Shawshank Redemption, which just happens to be centered on the idea of hope. And I think there are characters in this movie that really represent both of these ditches of despair and presumption. Right? If you haven't seen The Shawshank Redemption, Andy Dufresne 
is this guy who's wrongly convicted of killing his wife and he goes to prison. And in prison, Andy is a source of hope. But there are characters of presumption and despair as well. The, the one that I think of for presumption is the warden, right? Warden Norton, who has secured his future by power and control. For the warden, he presumes that the future is certain because it's in his power. He's got a solution for every problem. He's going to take it there no matter what. Presumption. But then there's a character of despair, And that, for me, is Andy's friend, Red. If you haven't read the short story, seen the movie Red, he's been in prison for decades. And Red has no pretensions to false hope because every hope for him is a false hope. He's in despair, right? There is no real hope. So he's given himself over to despair. And in fact, Andy brings up this topic of hope and Red looks him straight in the eye and says, listen to me. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man crazy and it's got no place inside prison. But then there's Andy. Andy is this source of hope that radiates throughout the life of his community. I think if we're being honest, all of us have experienced both of these ditches. We've experienced presumption, the false certainty of thinking we have our future secured by our own power, we've experienced despair, haven't we? We've walked through challenging, challenging, difficult times. And I think we also see presumption and despair, of course, represented in Scripture. We could go to all different kinds of places to talk about presumption and despair, but where I go for presumption is Jesus' parable of the rich fool. Remember that from Luke chapter 12 where Jesus, he told them a parable, Luke says, that the land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. The fool presumes he's set for life. The fool presumes that he doesn't need hope because he's got it already certain and secure in his own power. The fool presumes. And then, of course, there's all kinds of places that we could go to talk about despair in scripture, right? We could go to Job. But where I think of, of course, is the Psalms. Psalm chapter 69, in the vivid imagery of the psalmist, he says, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. 
the water is up to my neck. Wow, if there's ever an image of despair in scripture, I have no footing, the flood sweeps over me, my throat is parched, my eyes are dim, I've been sobbing. Some of us have walked through those moments, haven't you? You've walked through those times of tragedy and loss, of deep, deep darkness. You've walked through times where you woke up and your first thought in the morning was that regret, that sadness, that sin, that loss. In fact, one of the most famous poems in world history is Dante's The Divine Comedy. So Dante was an Italian poet in the 14th century, and he he wrote this three-part epic poem called The Divine Comedy, and the first part of that poem is called Dante's Inferno. And so the inferno is Dante's journey into hell, right? And the, the poet Virgil leads the poet Dante in his telling through hell. And famously, there's this inscription above the gates of hell. There's this inscription that reads, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Hell is a place with no hope. If you want to know what hell is like, imagine a place where hope doesn't belong. Nobody in this room has been to hell, but some of you have walked through hellish moments and seasons because you've lived in places where it felt like there was no hope at all. So what does the Christian have to say to despair? What does the Christian have to say to presumption? What is this Christian hope that we have and how do we hold it? Well, for that, we need to turn back to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter six, moving back to verse 13. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently endured, obtained the promise. Human beings, of course, swear by someone greater than themselves, and an oath given as confirmation puts an end to all dispute. In the ancient world, if you swore an oath, you were playing the ultimate chip. This was an oral society, right? Oaths, swearings, They took that very seriously. If you say, I will do X for Y, or the gods will smite me, you're playing with fire. That meant a lot. Today, we're very much written, legal contracts. Those matter the most for us, but there's still remnants of that oral culture. There's still remnants of swearing oaths, right? We say, I swear on my mother's grave. Gotta swear by something greater than ourselves, our mothers, right? Or we we stick our hand on the Bible and we say, so help me God. But Hebrews says, what about God? God, by definition, has nothing greater by which he could swear. God is, by definition, the greatest. And so Hebrews says that God swears by himself, 
Right? He makes this promise to Abraham and he seals it by taking an oath. And in verse 17 it says, in the same way when God desired to show even more clearly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it by an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible that God would prove false, we who have taken refuge might be strongly encouraged to seize the hope set before us. So those two unchangeable things are the promise and the oath. Right? God promises to Abraham, who's the paragon of biblical faith and hope, he promises and then he swears by himself. He takes an oath. So he doubles down. God says, there's no way I'm backing down on this. You can trust me. There is no false hope with God because in God, in Jesus Christ, we see that God is the truth. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The truth is a person. So hope in that person cannot be false. And so Hebrews says we have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Entering the shrine behind the curtain. This is temple, priestly language, but it's not an earthly temple. It's Jesus who has taken our hope all the way into the heart of heaven, right? Into the heaven of God's eternity. And Hebrews says he's an anchor for our soul. Think about an anchor with a ship. Of course, they didn't have them this big back when Hebrews was written, but we have 100,000-ton aircraft carriers that are anchored themselves by 15-ton anchors, 30,000-pound anchors. The, the chains on these anchors themselves, a, a single link in the chain is 130 pounds. It's the size of a human body. A single link in the chain. Think of these finite anchors and think of the infinite anchor of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's very word who holds all things in existence. He makes these finite human anchors look like paperweights, look like safety pins. Jesus has anchored our very hope in the heart of God's eternal life. There is no more secure hope than the hope of Jesus Christ, God's eternal son. But for some people, saying that our anchor is in the future, is in eternity, is in Christ, isn't good enough. Right, for some, we want answers now. We want evidence here. We want security right now. So how can we look to eternity? How can we look to the future? And don't Christians who looked only to the future, only to eternal life, don't they ignore the present? Maybe for some. Maybe there have been some Christians who've done that. But our view of the future, as we've learned throughout this entire series, our view of the future has everything to do with how we live right now. Right? 
Timothy Keller has a book called Making Sense of God, and there's a chapter on hope in that book, and he has this thought experiment. He says, imagine two women, and they get hired by a company, and it's very, very boring work. It's just this kind of conveyor belt, monotonous, you know, stick part A and B together, hand it on to the next person over and over and over again. Just very kind of mind-numbing manual labor. He says, take these two women, equal in every way, socioeconomically, every possible way, and you tell one of the women that at the end of a year, 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, at the end of that year, you're going to make $30,000. She's going to get pretty bored of that labor, probably pretty quickly. But he says, you take woman B, and you tell her at the end of the year, she's not going to make $30,000. She's going to make $30 million dollars. She's going to be whistling while she works. She, she's going to make it through. She's going to think, 52 weeks, I can do anything for 52 weeks. I can walk through this. Keller says that's because what we believe about our future completely controls how we are experiencing our present. We are irreducibly hope-based creatures. Our view of what's coming, our view of the future that's secure for us has everything to do with how we experience the present right now. But it's not only that, because it's not a license to ignore the plight and suffering around us. Hope for the future is what allows us to see the present for what it really is. Right? It's, it's our hope in the future that actually allows us to give more of ourselves. Right? C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity. He says, it's actually the Christians who've done most for the world have been the ones who are most secure in their eternal hope. Think of the Christians, the saints, the martyrs who gave all of themselves, gave their livelihood, gave their lives. They were the ones who more than anyone saw their future hope secured in Christ. Lewis says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. In the same way, there's a book called Theology of Hope by a theologian who writes this. He said, hope finds in Christ not only a consolation in suffering, but also the protest of the divine promise against suffering. It's because we hope for the eternally perfect, it's because we see God's perfect future that we can pronounce a protest against the present evil of this age. It's because we see that eternally secure perfection of God's life that we cannot ignore the disjunction here that we cannot ignore the injustice and unrighteousness and sin and death. It's precisely because we look to that future anchored in Jesus Christ that we can make it through our own sorrows and sin and death and that we work for the good of humankind around us, announcing the good news of Jesus. You know, Paul puts it bluntly in 1 Corinthians. He says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
We are of all people most to be pitied. If we try to found our hopes on the things of this world, we're building houses made of sand. We're building on foundations of sand. But if we secure our hope to that anchor of the soul, that anchor in the very heart of heaven, that anchor, the infinite word of God, all powerful, we have a hope that can face anything, that can face the trials and travails and sin and suffering and death all around us, a hope anchored in Jesus Christ who defeated sin and death on the cross and has secured our future in God's perfect eternal life. If you're here this morning and you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling lost, you've tried everything, to use Dr. Chan Hellman's language, you don't see a way, a pathway, you've got no willpower, you're at the end of your rope, I've got one more word for you this morning, and it comes from the writer G.K. Chesterton. He said, as long as matters are really hopeful, hope is a mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength at all. When you're finally hopeless, that's the very moment that Jesus' hope begins to do its work. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. If you're here this morning and you want to take the next step of anchoring your life in Christ, you want to take the next step through confession, through prayer, through baptism, we want to talk to you about the eternally secure hope in God's perfect future, anchored to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Church, let's stand and praise that Jesus this morning.